coming up on Mayo Clinic Q&A. Biologics are very complex, much more so than what you'd normally receive from a pharmacy. Many times we have to do a lot of testing to understand how to identify it and how to characterize these cells because it's a living source. The important thing is that there's an opportunity to use these type of therapies to cure rather than just treat patients. Biotherapeutics and biomanufacturing are moving discoveries from the lab to clinical trial and into commercially available therapies. To move technologies forward, partnerships are key. Collaboration in this field of regenerative biotherapeutics is so important for us to keep our pulse on the end goal. And the end goal is really to treat the patient. Welcome everyone to Mayo Clinic Q&A. I'm your host, Dr. Helena Gazelka. People are living longer, which is good news. But as people live longer, they are also more likely to acquire chronic diseases or develop age-related illnesses. Through research, clinical trials, and biomanufacturing, Mayo Clinic's Center for Regenerative Biotherapeutics is working to develop new types of medicines derived from the human body to treat chronic and age-related diseases. That's a mouthful. And here to help uh, us understand this better and to explain biologics and biomanufacturing is Dr. Julie Allickson. She's the director of Mayo Clinic's Center for Regenerative Biotherapeutics. Welcome, Julie. Thank you, Dr. Gazelka. I'm excited to be here today. Well, I am absolutely excited to have you here because I learn so much every time that I talk to someone about regenerative medicine and biologics. And I'm wondering if you could just explain uh, for our listeners, what is meant by biologics? Yeah, so biologics is a living source of medication. Um, you could think of it as a vaccine or a blood product or cell and gene therapy or a tissue that might be implanted. So it's composed of sugar or proteins or cells or tissues, and it's isolated from a natural source. So a human, an animal, or a microorganism. Interesting. So Julie, how does that differ from therapeutics that we would get, say, from our pharmacy medications? Yeah, uh, so that's a great question. Biologics are very complex, um, much more so than what you'd normally receive from a pharmacy. And so in contrast to those drugs that are chemically synthesized or produced, and the structure is known, it's the same every time, a biologic is, is very complex. And many times we have to do a lot of testing to understand how to identify it and how to characterize these cells because it's a living source. So they tend to be more sensitive to temperature as a living drug. But the important thing is, is that there's an opportunity to use these type of therapies to cure um, rather than just treat patients as we move forward, looking at uh, different ways of being able to, to use these products. Julie, I and probably many of our listeners are familiar with the idea that some of the very common medications that we use, such as aspirin, um, uh, such as uh, some uh, antibiotics, are derived from either plants or fungus even. And is that different than what you're talking about with biologics? No, those those would be considered a biologic as well because it's okay. from it's from a living organism. So th so that would be the same. And I think the thing that's on the top of everybody's mind might be that that these cells are are much different than what you would think of than a Tylenol that's chemically synthesized. Certainly, that makes sense. 
So what type of chronic diseases or age-related conditions can be treated with uh, biologics? I think the one thing that everybody could relate to would be cancer. Um, that would be, you know, there's a lot of cell therapies that have been used for a very long time. Um, blood cells such as, as cord blood, and now we're looking at a lot of different applications for cancer, rheumatoid arthritis and inflammatory diseases. We look at cells that might decrease that inflammatory response. Um, uh, so stem cells used, I would say, for cancers, genetic diseases, and now most recently immunotherapies that specifically kill certain cancer cells. So there's a wide variety that treats chronic diseases currently, or we're investigating through clinical trials to determine if it's effective. Julie, could you explain what is meant by gene therapy and cell therapy? Yeah, cell and gene therapy are sometimes thought to be interchangeable terms, but they're really mm -hmm. much more unique in medicine. And cells are really placing a new cell into your body. It might be your cell or it might be another a cell from somebody else that's highly tested to treat a certain condition. So I mentioned cord blood. That's one that's been used for you know several decades for hematological or blood diseases. So if there's a part of the body that's damaged or missing cells, we can inject those into the body. If you compare that to gene therapy, you're you can alter a specific part of a gen genetic makeup. So you're treating a genetic disease or an inherited disease. Um, uh, so uh, for example, there's gene therapy uh, currently that's being used for um, a disease called MSA, multiple spinal atrophy. Mm -hmm. And that's a viral, a virus that carries the gene uh, to those cells to replace it. So it's much more specific. The cells don't really affect the genes. Um, and then also gene editing is part of gene therapy. So where you're actually uh, editing a gene. So you can be um, editing out a gene or editing in a gene, um, usually for inherited diseases. So that's also a part of the gene therapy. And sickle cell would be um, one of the diseases that we would look at being able to edit um, the gene to be it's able to just, cure that it's disease. It's just fascinating. And I imagine that for some, it's we're talking about infecting someone with a virus. Aren't we always trying to avoid viruses? Yes, I, it, it, there's a lot of safety parameters. Um, FDA goes through many, many steps um, before they can approve anything to be able to move forward. So there's a lot of safety testing that, that takes place and that we understand that it would just go to where it needs to go in the body and then it's no longer there. So you're right, that, that does take a lot of effort to be able to use that in a patient. Julie, tell us about biomanufacturing and do we do this at Mayo Clinic? Yes, we do. Uh, we've actually been manufacturing products probably over the last decade. Um, we manufacture products across the enterprise. So we have manufacturing facilities in Rochester, Minnesota, in Jacksonville, Florida, and in Phoenix, Arizona. And um, this manufacturing then use, uses those biological systems that we talked about uh, to be able to produce products. We can also include uh, synthetic materials. So 
if we were looking at tissue engineering, mm -hmm. we would incorporate a synthetic material as well as the biologics. But um, and I, one example of of the biomanufacturing that has been um, used here for for a long time at Mayo Clinic is harvesting fat tissue and taking those adult stem cells from the tissue. So we digest that tissue, we take the stem cells, and then they can be used to treat diseases. So we're in early phase clinical trials looking at things such as osteoarthritis of the knee, where we might be able to decrease the pain and um, modulate or change the immune system in that area that's going to help to repair the area. That's very interesting. Tell us a little bit about 3D printing and biomanufacturing and how they intersect. Yeah, so exciting. There's so much potential uh, in 3D printing and it's been around for a long time. I think some of the first discoveries just looked at using an inkjet printer and took out where you'd put in the ink and, and put in cells and what we call you know biocompatible material where they could actually print something, but it allows us to customize or produce a biocompatible product that's three-dimensional. Mm -hmm. So the 3D printing without the bio is, is basically printing a scaffold. And we are right now in the process of doing that in Arizona at the Mayo Clinic. Dr. Lott has a 3D printing set up in the clean room, and he's currently using that to heal Larnex or your voice box if you have cancer or a traumatic injury. So he's really pioneering those 3D bio implants and tissue engineering to regenerate the larynx. So I do feel we're ahead of the curve. Um, the 3D bioprinting, um, which incorporates then the biologics or cells, we don't see, there's nothing that's gone to clinic yet, but we're certainly working on that piece of it. And that gives us a lot more potential to look at producing organs and tissues once we put the cells together. But there's just a lot of a lot of potential to, to customize what we need in a patient. So we can scan an organ or tissue and then we can produce it. That's just fascinating. The way that I've uh, been familiar with that before we've actually done a Q&A on it is the use of 3D printing to make um, uh, I mean, we were making a lot of little COVID viruses at the beginning of COVID, but also um, replicas of organs based on people's CT scans, et cetera, so that surgeons can determine how to do the case in the operating room. It's really amazing. Yeah, it's amazing how, how it's advanced surgery. So there's yeah. just a lot of applications for the 3D printing. Wonderful. Tell us about collaborations in the biomanufacturing space. I can imagine that there are a lot of people working on a lot of different uh, areas and that bringing them together is important. How does that work for your teams? Yeah, no, no, definitely. Collaboration in this field of regenerative biotherapeutics is so important for us to keep our pulse on the end goal. And the end goal is really to treat the patient. And without being able to commercialize these technologies, we wouldn't be able to treat all the patients that need it. So we recently uh, signed an agreement with uh, National Resilience. They're a technology-focused biomanufacturing company that are dedicated to bringing these medicines to the patient. Then um, they look at end-to-end -end solutions. How do we mm -hmm. manufacture these products safely and at scale? 
and they are going to be working side by side with us on process and analytical development. What does that mean? That's kind of the first couple steps before we get it into manufacturing. So they will help to facilitate the acceleration of those therapies to move them into, into clinic, into the manufacturing process. And they're going to be right in within our um, healthcare corridor or the destination medical center in the newly built to Discovery Square. So they're building um, a new space there and we're really excited because our new process development space will be built right next to that. So that's one um, relationship that we have. And, and the second was a bit of a news that came out about a week ago where Mayo Clinic is teaming up with Hibiscus BioVentures and Inaforce to produce and launch um, um, Mayflower BioVentures, which is a cell and gene therapy accelerator where we identify critical therapies and that's in discovery. And we wanna be able to advance those quickly into startup companies. So looking at all of the preclinical studies that get done and the early phase clinical trials. And we think that this collaboration is really gonna bridge the gap between industry and the innovative work we hear, have here at the Mayo Clinic and enabling startups to move forward. It's, it was interesting to me because I started a year ago and when I saw this list of 100 discovery projects, I was thoroughly impressed. I think that we have a lot of hardworking uh, clinical investigators and scientists that work head, heads down. And sometimes we don't always get to hear about everything that's amazing that's going on at the Mayo Clinic, but I was super impressed. And we do have a long line of industry and pharma that wanna understand what we're doing here at the Mayo Clinic. And these relationships are key to be able to move things forward as we're building biomanufacturing the important piece for us is really to look at the early phase clinical trials, de-risk the technology, and then allow someone else to license or take those to a startup. So this really facilitates all of that. That's amazing. It's so uh, wonderful to hear what's going on. It's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast. I learned so much myself and get to share it with listeners. Tell us, Julie, what should we be looking for in the short-term and long-term in biotherapeutics, do you think? Yeah, I, I love that question. I mean, the near term, if you look at 2022, we already have several um, cell and gene therapies that are called CAR-T therapies, six that have been approved. And that's a lot for the FDA because there's a total of 20 plus projects under cell and gene therapy that have been approved over the last um, you know, decade. So there's really a significant um, uptick in these therapies and CAR-T is for uh, blood cancers. And we're looking at those potentially in the future to be able to use them for solid tumors. So I think that's one of the near terms. The other thing is that we've been working on CRISPR or gene editing for a decade. Mm -hmm. And we do believe that probably in less than a year, we will see um, CRISPR therapy for sickle cell anemia. It's in a phase three right now, and there's really good results. It's on a fast track with FDA called RMAT. And that means they have more face time with FDA. And if they see highly uh, stunning results in efficacy and safety, they're able to move them a little bit faster. I think in the midterm, we're seeing induced pluripotent stem cells. That's where they take a small biopsy of skin 
and they're able to add factors that can put push it back to an early state where we can differentiate those cells into several different cells. And just recently, the NIH came out with the first clinical trial using these cells to, uh, that, that's demonstrated that it prevented blindness in animals. So we're super excited to see that. And when I think about long-term, I think about the 3D bioprinted organs and there's a lot of excitement around that, um, the opportunity to really eradicate the transplant waiting lists. If you think about it, you know, it's more than a lot of people think, you know, it's, it's like the science sci-fi movies, but really it's, it's, you know, has the potential to transform healthcare the, the way we see it today. There's, um, you know, communications of companies. One example, I would say United Therapeutics and 3D Systems that had just recently uh, released uh, a lung scaffold that they've been working on and talked about this at a conference in San Diego and said that, you know, they really plan to see these manufactured hopefully within the next five years. And that would be using the patient's cells. So there'd be no reject rejection. So that would be, you know, such an incredible difference oh, for healthcare, you know, for the quality of life of these patients, for all the patients waiting in line. And then mm -hmm. it, it would also significantly affect um, healthcare economics the way we see it today. So there's just so much potential in the field. It's, it's quite exciting. Really exciting and so fascinating. So it sounds like more and more our physicians will be able to treat us with biologics as time goes on. I hope so. Fingers crossed, but it's definitely a bright future. There's a lot of investment in the field and Mayo Clinic is certainly prioritizing this uh, across the enterprise to allow the patients here to have treatments focused on rare and complex diseases because not always for the rare diseases are there opportunities to bring some of these therapies forward. And here at Mayo Clinic, we wanna make sure that that happens. What an incredible example and examples today that you've brought forward of not only innovation, but keeping the needs of the patient first. It's just inspiring. Thank you. Thank you so much. Inspiring Thanks, to be here at the Mayo Clinic. It, it is challenged every day to, yeah. uh, uh, to learn more. Thank you for being here today, Julie. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Our thanks to Dr. Julie Allickson, the director of Mayo Clinic's Center for Regenerative Biotherapeutics, for being with us today to explain to us what biologics and biotherapeutics are. I hope that you learned something. I know that I did. We wish each of you a wonderful day. Mayo Clinic Q&A is a production of the Mayo Clinic News Network and is available wherever you get and subscribe to your favorite podcasts. To see a list of all Mayo Clinic podcasts, visit newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org. Then click on podcasts. Thanks for listening and be well. We hope you'll offer a review of this and other episodes when the option is available. Comments and questions can also be sent to Mayo Clinic News Network at mayo.edu.